please, please join me in the prayer of confession. Merciful God, in your gracious presence, we confess our sin and the sin of this world. Although Christ is among us as our peace, we are a people divided against ourselves as we cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasures we pursue lay waste the land and pollute the seas. The fears of jealousies that we harbor set neighbor against neighbor and nation against nation. We abuse your good gifts of imagination and freedom of intellect and reason and turn them into bounds of oppression. We rely on our own flesh for righteousness. In this time of silence, hear the confessions of our hearts. Amen. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Righteousness does not come from our own doing or not doing. Righteousness comes from God by faith through the faithfulness of Christ, our Lord. We are forgiven. Amen. For the child in all of us, I'm going to need everybody's help, especially you kids that are here in person. So one of the things that I remember learning in elementary school was about the five senses. Does anybody know what the five senses are? I won't call on you, but let me know if you know what it is. Oh, you, oh, you know, okay. So they have to do with how we learn things, right? Does anyone want to call one out? What's one of the five senses? What is it? Hearing. Hearing? Exactly. That's a great one. With our ears, we can learn about things when we hear. What about the one with our eyes? What would that one be? Yeah. Good. Seeing. What else? What'd you say? That's right. We see, we can learn things with our eyes, we can learn things with our ears, we can even learn things with our nose through smelling. We can learn things with our mouth through tasting. How many is that? One, two, three, four. Okay, thank you for keeping me on track. And then lastly, we can learn about things by touch, right? Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna practice this here. I want everyone to look around the sanctuary and find something you can see. Pick whichever one you want. There's a lot in here, and everyone point at it. What is one thing you can see? Okay, lots of different directions. Good. Now, this one's going to be a little bit harder, 
What is one thing in this sanctuary that you can hear? My voice right now. A lot of people pointing at the organ, good, or the gigantic pipes, that how, how we hear the organ music, good. Okay, now it's just going to get harder and harder and harder. What is something in this sanctuary that you might be able to smell? Everyone point at it. Yeah, don't point at Pastor Garrett. <laughs> he took a shower, I promise. <laughs> but I do see people pointing over here. Are you pointing at the flowers? Nice. Oh, candles, you can also smell. That's good. Okay, what about taste? Is there anything in this sanctuary that you might be able to taste? Do you have an idea? Exactly. That's such a good answer. Sometimes we have bread and juice here when we celebrate communion, and those are things that we taste. Good job. Any other things you might be able to taste? You might be able to taste them, but they probably wouldn't be very good. I don't recommend licking the floors or the pews, especially in pandemic season. Yeah, what else? It's a hard one, isn't it? Maybe you have some snacks that you brought with you that you could taste. Hmm. And lastly, what is one thing you might be able to touch in this space? Everyone point at something that you might be able to touch. There's a lot of interesting textures in this sanctuary, isn't there? Well, when we come to worship God, we come to worship with our brains, and we come to worship with our hearts, and we come to worship with our soul, but we also come to worship with our bodies, with our eyes and our ears and our hands and our nose and our mouth. And so I want you to think about that as we continue on in worship and remember that all of the ways, all of who you are, is part of worshiping God. And even on days like this when we're not allowed to sing out loud, we can still worship with God through our ears and worship with God through our heart as we read words and as we think about the songs and as we look around at all of the amazing things in this space and remember how great God is. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for the five senses. And thank you for all of the ways that we might know about you and worship you. Lord, I pray that in the rest of our time together that we might think about how to be your people with our mind and our body and our soul. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
Friends, our scripture comes to us today from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Listen now for the word of the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God, and boast in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I, too, have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, we present ourselves before your word once again. And God, we ask that you would use this time to transform all of us into the likeness of Christ. God, whatever words we would hear this morning, I pray they would not be mine or Sarah's, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, tell me about yourself. What is your story i was born in indiana okay was... not yours <laughs> thank you very much it was rhetorical yeah, okay. but these are questions that we get at various points in our lives in interviews on school applications maybe first dates or when we are new in a new town and meeting new people and we answer these questions in a variety of ways in Christian circles, we might ask for a story called a testimony. What is your story of your connection with God? What is the story of your healing or of your salvation? Well, last week, Pastor Garrett spoke about Paul's call to the Philippians in this letter to work out their salvation in fear and trembling. And this week, as we continue on in the letter, we read his own account of doing just that. We hear his story of salvation. 
And Paul's story of salvation starts off really strong. He says in this passage that he has reason to boast in his own story. If anyone should have confidence, he says, it is me. Back before Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, when his name was actually not even Paul yet, but still Saul, things were going great. Saul was absolutely certain that he was living life the way God intended. He was absolutely certain that his convictions were right. He was doing everything by the book, and he was sure of his salvation. So Paul starts his testimony, he starts this story with a list of all of the reasons that he was righteous. He was circumcised on the eighth day, just like the scriptures said. He was one of the people of God, an Israelite. But not even just that, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, following other famous disciples. He was pure blood, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. He was a faithful follower of the law and passionately zealous. And he ends this list by saying, when it comes to righteousness, I was blameless. I was perfect. Each of these reasons that Paul gives here surrounded him and made him feel secure of his salvation. It was almost like each of these accomplishments or reasons or opinions was a layer built upon another, creating a kind of trench a kind of trench behind which Paul could take shelter and look out upon all of the others on the horizon who were not doing it right. Layer upon layer, he sheltered himself behind his family upbringing, behind his education and his vocation and his opinions and his ideas, thinking this is what makes me righteous. This is what makes me right and helps me know that I am surely saved. This is why my story is great, these layers that I have built surrounding me. Paul had entrenched himself in his ideas and accomplishments and accolades. But I wonder, as I come to this text today, if it is just Paul that does this. We're all very intelligent people in here. We have a lot of different backgrounds that we come from. A lot of us have a lot of experience in life. A lot of us have found ourselves working under people that were really intelligent and wisdom has been passed on to us. I remember I worked for a summer for a uh, structural engineer and I, I don't know anything about engineering but I was there to mow the lawn, get coffee, and really do whatever they needed me to do. And I'll never forget some of the lessons I learned because I got to help out with some projects. I learned, some of you may know some of this. Uh, I learned that you should measure twice and cut once, right? I learned that uh, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong, and so you should just plan for it. And I also learned my favorite thing that I was taught um, by a structural engineer was, Garrett, you have to wear more sunscreen when you go outside. 
because I wasn't wearing enough, apparently. We gain this kind of knowledge as we go through life, as we are educated, but sometimes that knowledge can kind of get in our way. Maybe every four years, the knowledge we've acquired can be something that trips us up. Tell me if you've had an experience like this, and I'll I'll make this partly a confession. Recently on Facebook, um, someone commented on a picture of Sarah's ordination, and the only thing they put in the comment was a verse from the Bible that says that women should not be ordained or should not be able to teach. And I got a really bad case of what a friend of mine calls someone on the internet was wrong. Have you ever had a case of this? (laughs) Someone on the internet was wrong. I got a bad case of it that day. (laughs) And I began to use the knowledge and all of the teaching I had gained from seminary to begin to explain to this man on Facebook why he was wrong and why I was right and why my wife was justified, and I went in full-blown, we're going to solve the issues of the world in a Facebook feed. And I weaponized the knowledge that I was given to use imaginatively, creatively, for healing and grace. I weaponized it. I stuck myself behind the trench of my Facebook page, and I just started lobbing whatever grenades I had to try to prove that person wrong. We're in a season of time where everyone is catching a bad case of someone on the internet is wrong, and I wonder how many of us are using our platforms and our pages or even just our relationships not to prove that Jesus was right, but to prove that we are right and we are righteous. Well, Paul's story takes a dramatic twist in the middle of our passage from today. Normally, when we hear stories, when we hear testimonies, we are used to hearing of progress and of achievement. But as Paul speaks of his story after this list of reasons that he has to boast, he speaks not of progress, but of loss. He says all of those reasons that I knew I was saved, I actually came to see as loss. Whatever gains I had, those I regard now as loss. All those things I had listed, my circumcision, my my education, my ideas, my opinions, I now regard them as rubbish. And not just rubbish, we actually had a seminary professor who said a more accurate translation would be a four-letter word that means something flushable. (laughs) I'll let you fill it in and figure it out yourself. But that's how rubbish these things actually are. So why did Paul look back at this trench he had been building and call it suddenly rubbish? We know that his story had changed dramatically when Jesus broke in on the road to Damascus and something happened in that moment and continued to happen in the life of Paul since that moment so that now when he looks back at his story, he sees through a much wider lens. 
Paul realizes here that he is not the center of his own story, but that Christ is. All of those layers that he had been using to justify his righteousness, his rightness, meant nothing now that he was connected with Jesus. Paul realized here that he wasn't the one responsible for his transformation, but that it was Jesus. The greatness of his testimony came not from the strength of his trench, but from the vulnerability of stepping outside of it and walking in the way of Jesus. Even though, as he says, that walking was a path that led to sacrifice and even death. For those of you out there doing the Lord's work in this season of people on the internet being wrong, I want to reassure you for a second. It is our call and duty to fight for justice. It is our call and duty to stand with the oppressed and the marginalized. It is our call and duty to stand with the little ones that have been separated from their families. This is our call and duty. It is also our call and duty to stand against leaders and indeed supreme leaders who are unapologetically sexually immoral, who are unapologetically proud of their lewd behavior. It is our call and duty to stand against leaders who are unapologetically boastful, unapologetically vulgar, unapologetically lying about reality to cause confusion in the people. It is our call and duty as Christians to call out this kind of behavior because it is toxic for our nation and our world. These are all sins that are mentioned in the New Testament. The Bible is very, very clear on this. This kind of behavior trickling from the top down is the kind that will destroy us all. And we are here in the church to stand against that. However, as we stand against leaders in regimes such as this, we cannot make the mistake of centering ourselves in the middle of this story. We cannot use the wisdom and understanding given to us by Christ to show all that we have accomplished and learned. We're not called because we are so righteous. We are called because Jesus is so righteous. We don't follow our Christian duty as laid out in Scripture because we want to prove to the world that we're righteous and pure. We do it to show that Jesus is righteous and pure. We don't do this work because we're right or we want to win an argument. We do it because Jesus is saving the world. Christ is the hero of our story, and we have to bear witness to that. I say this not to heap guilt on you over what you may or may not have said on social media or in conversations with friends during this very divisive season. I say it to liberate you. Because you don't have to be right or righteous when Jesus is right and righteous. 
You don't have to be perfect and blameless and have all the knowledge and wisdom in the world when Jesus is blameless and has all the wisdom in the world. You don't have to go into the world and save it yourself. You just have to bear witness to the one that is. The Christmas truce of 1914 is this miraculously true story of a ceasefire that happened in the midst of World War I. And perhaps you're familiar with it. It is a story that has been retold in many ways through books and films and articles. And it is this incredible picture. It had been several months of fighting, and the British, Belgian, and French troops were fighting in trench warfare against their German enemies, and all along the Western Front, both sides had dug deep into their trenches. There were casualties from both sides in no man's land between the trenches, and it was brutal. But on Christmas Eve, something miraculous happened. When both sides began singing Christmas carols and eventually laid down their rifles and came out, of their trenches. We have different accounts of this from diaries and interviews and letters that were written by the soldiers, and each diary or letter tells a slightly different story. One, one says that it was the Germans that first came out of their trenches shouting Merry Christmas in English, in the language of their enemies. Hmm. In some places, they came out and played friendly games of soccer in some places, they exchanged gifts of cigarettes and buttons. There was even the sharing of food and singing of Christmas carols that they all had in common. They were able to collect and bury their dead, and for a moment, there was peace. Unfortunately, the war raged on. This was just a temporary ceasefire, but this miracle reminds us that you can't be righteous from a trench. You can't forge peace from a trench. That we are called as disciples of Jesus to step outside and to walk in the way of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for the call to step out of our own righteousness and into the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
few announcements to share with you all today. First, we would like to thank the Callis family for the flowers in loving memory of their daughter, Elena. One of those things that we can smell and see and not taste, but to remind us of God's presence and of her loving memory. So thank you for that. All right. Well, friends, as you know, we became a Matthew 25 congregation, and you'll be hearing us talk about that more and more as time goes on. But essentially what it means for us now is that we begin thinking about what does it mean to be a Matthew 25 congregation? And the short answer to that is this, that we are about congregational vitality. We are about eradicating systemic poverty, and we are about dismantling structural racism. And the PMA, the Presbyterian Mission, Mission Agency, has sort of broadly defined it for us like that, and it's up to us to decide how we carry that out. And so what we're asking you to do is to begin to pray. Pray on those three charges from the Presbyterian Mission Agency and think about how we can begin to work toward those goals. And we're going to be have com having conversations as a church as time goes on about what these mean, but if you can start praying now and start thinking now, we can really help our conversation down the road. We are looking forward soon to a gradual reopening of the Open Door program starting November 5th. We will be letting people in small groups come into the building for those services on Thursdays. And we want to give a big thank you to Trish and her team for putting a deep plan in process to make sure that that is safe, but especially as these months grow colder and we know that we can be a hospitable place of warmth and of services, we look forward to that and we covet your prayers as we move toward that. And we also um, ask for volunteers. In order to make this happen smoothly and effectively, we need more people than usual to be checkpoints and to help make all of the logistics happen. And so if that is something you are interested in or might know someone who is interested in, interested in that, then we invite you to reach out. There are links to volunteer forms through mm -hmm. the email online, and you are always welcome to talk to one of us or to talk to Trish to get more information about that. We also are looking for volunteers for some of the tech services as we become people realizing live streaming is part of our long-term reality and integrating all kinds of technology is something we will be doing more and more of. If that is of interest to you, same thing, we would love to have you volunteer. Mm -hmm. For those of you that are in person today, Loretta should have handed you an offering slip if you're interested in putting an offering in the plate. If not, you can always go to our website, fortstreet.org backslash give, and uh, there will be a link there and, and a process to walk you through how to give online. So two ways to give this morning, the envelope, and then also there's always giving online. And I've had a lot of pressure from people who do the counting and handle finances to make a big push to move all of our giving online because it makes their lives much, much easier. So if you would consider that as well, we would be grateful. Um, um, in-person worship next week, um, there's still, uh, spots, so please sign up, 
Um, and also note that there is no coffee hour um, in in-person uh, worship. Friends, will you join me for a time of prayer? Good and loving God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the cool weather that's coming in. We thank you for the changing of the seasons. We thank you for the harvest. God, we thank you for our health. We thank you that the church doors are open for the first time in seven months. God, we thank you for all of these small celebrations in the midst of quite a wild year. God, we ask for your continued peace and comfort. We ask for your continued wisdom and guidance. And God, we ask for healing for our nation, for the leadership of our nation. God, for the people of this world. Lord, we ask that you would be with us as your hands and feet and continue to speak to us and continue to send us out to fulfill the call that you have placed on our life. And now, God, we are bold to pray the way that your Son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who who art art in in heaven, heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
As we go from this place now, let us remember that our lives are a living sacrifice, that we might worship God with our heart and our mind and our soul and our eyes and our ears and our mouth and our nose and even our hands, that we are God's people and can rest in the righteousness of Christ. And as you go, may you know that God sees you. May you know that God is smiling down upon you, and may you know that you are loved and that your life truly matters. Amen. Amen.